Hello and welcome to Star Diary, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings, listeners. Welcome to Star Diary, a weekly guide to the best things to see in the Northern Hemisphere's night sky. In this episode, we'll be covering the coming week of the 2nd to the 8th of May. I'm Ezzy Pearson, the magazine's news editor, and I'm joined on the podcast today by reviews editor, Paul Money. Hello, Paul. Hello, Ezzy. How's things? Things are going well. So, Paul, what can you tell me about what's going to be coming up in the next week in the night sky? Well, we often talk about the fact that so much is happening in the morning sky and we have to get up. Guess what? We've got an evening event to start with. Absolutely brilliant. I know. It's a lot easier, isn't it, to observe. Uh, You don't have to stay up all night. Um, But we've got Mercury in the evening sky, but we will lose it during the coming week. So it's time to grab Mercury while you can. And it's got a great little apparition on the second with the slim crescent moon to its left, a really, really young moon. And to its right, slightly below it, is the Pleiades, Messier 45, that wonderful star cluster. And this is really your last chance to get the Pleiades and nearby Hyades with Aldebaran as well, Taurus. We're losing the winter constellations mm. now. Is oh no, the light nights are creeping on us as such. But this is a great evening apparition. I mean, you know, the cluster will be harder in the twilight, but Mercury well, should be easily visible. And of course, obviously the crescent moon as well. You need to be looking roughly west-northwest about 9.30pm. So, you know, not too late. So uh, you better observe it. Um, binoculars, naked eye, uh, that sort of thing, you know, to actually get them a good view, really, to see them. But uh, this is your last chance, really, for Mercury this next week. And uh, I say, if you don't get it now, it'll rapidly drop back down into the twilight, very into the solar glare, and we'll lose it. So, uh, But it's nice to have it next to the moon and next to the Pleiades as well. Now, moving on, while we're talking about the moon, it's uh, one of those targets whereby it's it's a lovely crescent. But look at that crescent. Now, you might notice with the crescent, there's a there's a little bit of a, a black spot, a black area on that crescent disc. And what you're seeing is Mercrisium. It's the Sea of Crises. And the thing about this is it's a lovely feature to capture because you need to capture uh, on day three and day four after new moon, which ironically works out well with May the 3rd and May the 4th. So this is a good time to get it. On the 3rd, the actual terminator, the day-night boundary, is actually bisecting the sea, so it's cut in half. But by the 4th, the whole of the sea, Mercury, will be available. And the thing about this is that uh, it's got a nice dark floor. This is the lava, the basalt, that cooled very quickly. That's why it's quite dark. And so it stands out extremely well. And there are several craters there. I'm going to pick out one, mainly because there's a, a good... It seems like there's a connection with a famous franchise, sci-fi franchise, Star Trek. Uh, It's called (laughs) Picard. No, not Jean-Luc of Next Generations. No, this is actually Jean Picard, who was a 17th century French astronomer and a member of the Academy of Sciences in 1666. I mean, I'm fairly sure Jean-Luc Picard's name was stolen from Jean Picard, the astronomer. It'd be nice They do tend to was. do that in Star Trek and things. So I think it's a bit too close. The French astronomer, Jean Picard, so I wouldn't be surprised. So there you are, the lineage of Jean-Luc. <laughs> I, do, I do have to say I love the, sometimes love the names of uh, various 
places on the moon. You know, you've got like Picard, you've got the the Sea of Tranquility, like the Bay of Rainbows, the Sea of Crises. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, if, what made them think of the Sea of Crises? What was going through their mind at the time? Perhaps there was a storm at sea, you know, that sort of made them think, hmm, yeah, Sea of Crises, that would be a good one as such. So, uh, but, but yes, there's a lot of astronomers, astronomers, mathematicians, scientists named on the moon, uh, craters, etc. Mm. So, uh, you know, so hopefully over the coming months, uh, as we do the podcast, we might pick out a few more. But I, that caught my eye, Picard sort of thing. I don't think there's a crater data. <laughs> on the moon. Not as far as I know. There's to... probably an asteroid. I won't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Asteroids have all kinds of weird and wonderful names. Would that mean in the future they'd go data mining? Oh. Oh, I know. That's, <laughs> That's absolutely terrible, isn't it? Anyway, rapidly moving on because of my poor jokes. <laughs> we now switch back to the morning sky because, let's face it, at the moment, a lot of the action is in the morning sky because we've had so many planets there that are naked eye. We've got Saturn, Mars, Jupiter, and Venus. Now, um, literally yesterday, on May the 1st, Jupiter and Venus were actually in conjunction, just 22 arc minutes apart. So from now on, they're going to get wider and wider. The gap between them increases. And this is because Venus is dropping back into the solar glare, but Jupiter is creeping out. So we've got the advantage we're going to gain Jupiter, but we're going to eventually lose Venus. So as I say, we've got four major planets actually at the moment. So then we've got Venus and Mars, the inner planets, and we've got Jupiter and Saturn as well. So well worth keeping an eye on them sort of thing as the week progresses because you'll see quite a gap building up between uh, Venus and Jupiter. You want to be roughly looking east to east-southeast and southeast for Saturn and uh, you'll find about 4.40 in the morning. The, the problem is the light, it is getting quite light, isn't it, now in the morning sky, it has to be said. So, you know, this is uh, worth catching those planets while you can. So there we are. So that's the uh, planets in the morning sky. I say you do have to set an alarm <laughs> unless you're a real <laughs> late night person and stay up all night. But then we come to the 6th. Now, May the 6th, we have a, a meteor shower. Now, the thing about meteor showers is they get a lot of media hype. Mm -hmm. um, they they use the zenith hourly rate, which for some reason has gone out of my head now. But the point about the Eta Aquarius is they're better seen in the southern hemisphere because they're quite low down. But their actual, um, the, the, the radiant is sort of like above Mars near the star Eta Aquarii. Well, hence the name Eta Aquarius. So the thing about this is that you will see some, but you really need to observe them as soon as Mars and Saturn get above the horizon. Start watching up until dawn, but don't expect high rates because unfortunately it's not well placed for the Northern Hemisphere, but it doesn't mean to say you won't get any meteors at all. So, you know, if you fancy a spot of meteor hunting, it's a clear morning, you know, have a go at the Eta Aquarius itself, but make sure you get them before dawn. But remember, when the um, media mention the zenith hourly rate and start hyping up, that's under perfect conditions, looking directly above us under pitch black skies with barely any atmosphere as such between us. Mind you, if there's no atmosphere, we wouldn't see the meteors, would we? No, <laughs> we wouldn't see a lot. <laughs> the exactly, exactly. No atmosphere, no meteors in the sky. There would be meteoroids until they hit 
when they become a meteorite. Oh, that definition always gets so many people in a twirl because they don't get it right sort of thing. But in space, it's a meteoroid. In the atmosphere, it's a meteor. And if they land, if they're big enough, then are a meteorite. But I don't believe you get meteorites from the Eater Aquarius. You tend to get these lovely streaks, which are just the meteors. But, you know, keep an eye at them just in case. It's worth it, you know, if you get a clear sky. I always think with with meteor showers is as long as you you know what you should expect, they're always worth it. Because, you know, whilst you're out observing, trying to to find uh, meteorites, you can still, you know, enjoy the night sky. Um, You can still look up at the stars if you're lucky enough to be able to in a place where you can see the Milky Way. You can enjoy that. Um, And it's it's just it's just sort of knowing that you might only see one or two over the course of the night. And then it becomes like a hunt. It's a sort of game to try and see how many of these things you can spot, um, which I always think is fun. And again, it's like we were talking about last week um, with comets being these kind of like fickle things. Meteor showers are the same. We know when we're going to happen, but we don't know exactly when a meteor is going to appear. We don't, we can't know that if we look at this specific point on the night sky at this specific time, we'll see one. So I think that's always a bit fun for me. And I can guarantee you shouldn't really have me anywhere near you observing meteors because wherever they are, if I aim a camera in one direction, they're behind me. Always. <laughs> I can guarantee it sort of thing. You know, the key is to set up several meteor cameras up at once. <laughs> I need you to be near me and then I need to face the other direction. Oh, that's a, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> If you want to find out even more spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky throughout the month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pull-out sky guide with a full overview of everything worth looking up for. Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets, or the deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes, or neither, our sky guide has got you covered with the detailed star charts to help you track your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify.